Welcome to the Arrive and Thrive podcast. We are your hosts, Tyson Day and Daniel Lenardi. Our podcast is designed to give you fresh perspectives and educational insights to make sure you thrive in every moment. Regularly, we are joined by thought leaders, life learners, and generally amazing humans who bring an approach just like us, casual, relaxed, and curious. Have you ever felt that your career path was perhaps not aligned with who you wanted to become? Sakshi Takua knew that the corporate world was not something that she wanted to pursue long-term. Through exploring her intuition, values, and personal challenges, she found a new path that involves serving others and contributing to something more than just the bottom line. Sakshi Takua is the CEO and co-founder of Humanism Global, a social enterprise which is on a mission to help end global poverty, one job at a time. Her story is fascinating, and we know it's the perfect episode to end this year on. We hope you enjoy. Arrive and Thrive would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, leaders past, present and emerging. Thanks everyone for tuning in for 2020. Merry Christmas and a happy new year. It's, this is our last episode for the year. Dan, what's the special message for our listeners? Thanks everyone for tuning in this year in 2020. It's been great having you along for the ride. Um, we look forward to bringing you more exciting guests in 2021 and our first episode will be dropping jan 12 so look forward to seeing you then awesome happy holidays everyone sakshi takua welcome to the arrive and thrive podcast how are you going good thank you so much for having me today really excited oh, oh it's our pleasure dan i'm really excited to get this lovely lady on our show because social entrepreneurship is one of our favorite things to talk about isn't it and it's up there <laughs> there's a few things and how are you going today buddy you good yeah i'm going good thanks for coming on the show thank you thank you for having me again i'm actually really excited to see where this goes yeah awesome and so we um i suppose i'm a little bit scattered sakshi because you you've got quite the resume around social entrepreneurship and and social impact and so forth you're a senior associate at y lab you're the co-founder of humanism um and also been involved with like the FYA social young social pioneer projects and so forth. So please give us a snapshot around, you know, what you're currently working on. You and I are both equally scattered. I have no idea how I got here most of the time, but um, snapshot of where I am today is like you said, I work for YLab, which has been incredible. I also um, have a social enterprise called Humanism Global, which is my baby. And it's essentially a social, social enterprise that creates employment for low-income women in uh, marginalised communities in India through textiles education and employment. Um, and how we employ them is by creating handmade um, event merchandise for Australian corporates and organisations. Um, I have to ask, how, how did that idea come about? Because it, it sounds like quite a a niche um, product, but but also a terrific idea. <laughs> really good question. I have no background in events or event merchandise. So the way this whole business started has been quite serendipitous. I ended up leaving my first tech startup um, and decided to not take investment and spend some time just reflecting on what I really wanted to do in my life and how I wanted to serve the world. And so decided to help a not-for-profit that my friend in Melbourne 
had in Pondicherry, South India, and it was a really early stage not-for-profit, but I was up to take any opportunity to get away from Melbourne and the world in Melbourne and be a new person in a city that no one knew me. And so I spent three months in Pondicherry helping this not-for-profit that essentially would raise philanthropic funding from fundraisers in Melbourne to provide textiles education to women in really marginalised communities. And my job was to somehow make this sustainable because as donors and philanthropists die, so does their money. And that's just the way the world works. So while I was there, I asked the women um, what would they want in life? And they said money because money gives them freedom and choice. And so while I was there, I was trying to figure out how can I make money because I believe every human deserves and has the right to freedom and choice. And so then that led on to my first prototype, which was upcycled sari tote bags and upcycled sari um, string bags, which was a failure because no one, there was no market for it. Um, and then I took a step back and tried to reflect on, okay, how can I create, a, create the greatest number of jobs for the greatest number of humans, which then serendipitously led into this wonderful lady at an event um, asking me if I could make these necklaces that um, the women had made for me just as a thank you into lanyards um, for Queensland University of Technology. And I said, yes, not knowing if we could, um, and we could, and now we do a lot more than lanyards. So it's been a journey in a long-winded way, but very serendipitous in that um, we didn't really plan to be in the event merch space, but it made the most sense in terms of the goal that we were trying to achieve. Um, Sachi, can you walk us through your career from high school to now? Yeah, I can try and give you that in a snapshot because a lot has happened. I um, Maybe I'll start from the fact that I did move schools a lot. So I was born in Kuwait, migrated to Oman, migrated to Melbourne, um, and then moved in year 10 um, to Sydney. So I did the HSC. And while I was in year 12, I um, lost a close friend to suicide. And um, that was probably the first time I was actively involved in Headspace. So we advocated for the first Headspace in Melbourne while I was in Sydney. So I was getting people in Sydney to petition for something they didn't really know much about. But um, we did get that headspace in Melbourne. So that was my first, not job, but a huge part of my career and what I really valued. Um, came back to Melbourne, got into biomedical science and commerce and continued that journey with trying to advocate for headspace in different areas like Monash. And then worked in pharmacy. I actually worked in three different pharmacies from the age of 17 to 20. Um, while studying biomed and commerce full-time at Monash University and decided to also be a part of the Monash Youth Reference Group, which is this youth council that um, is run by young people between the ages of 15 and 25. Um, I chaired that for a year and helped drive a few social causes and projects like um, Humans of Monash, where we take pictures of random people on the street and ask them about their stories much like humans of new york and post that on facebook pages so that we can all be inspired by um, ordinary human stories and um, then i got an internship at ernst and young in financial services did that and then they asked me to come back um, 
during uni for my last year as a part-time um, consultant and auditor, which um, I did part-time while working, uh, while studying full-time, then got a grad offer, so that was there for another year. Um, I studied at LSE for a couple of months and then had a pivotal moment where I realised that I don't think I don't think I can see myself being the CEO of Ernst & Young. And as crazy and ambitious as that sounded as a 21-year-old, um, I knew that if I was going to be working in an organisation, I want to be striving to be the CEO of that organisation so that I can make this, this organisation have a really meaningful impact in the greater scheme of things. Um, and so when I had that realisation that I don't want to be the CEO of Ernst & Young, I... Um, I literally just left within weeks, not knowing what was next. Um, I even made up the fact that I got a scholarship with Credit Suisse to do the Masters of Entrepreneurship, which I didn't. I only applied for it, um, but I just had to manifest that so that I could convince everyone around me that this is a great life decision, when really it wasn't um, from a logical scheme of things. Um, my parents even thought I had the scholarship, but I really didn't at that point. Luckily, touch wood, I did get the scholarship, so um, no one could call me out on my bluff there. Um, and then did the Masters of Entrepreneurship, did, oh, I also did my Chartered Accountancy, which is like a CA qualification, failed that, um, which was fun. And then I had my first tech startup, got um, seed funding for it from Credit Suisse and a couple of other organisations. I got offered investment um, and then there was a moment where I knew that I just needed to look after my mental health. So ran away to an ashram, then spent some time in India and then serendipitously humanism was born and that's now my new baby. And just to clarify, Sakshi, you're, you're 26 years old. <laughs> yeah, I feel really old. I'm turning 27 in like a couple of months and I've got four grey hairs. So this has just been a great journey. <laughs> Well, I think I, I um if I lost my hair when I was about twenty four, but I, I definitely didn't have the resume or the experience that that you've had. It's it's just incredible. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I look back and think to myself, what am I really good at? Like, I'm 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 literally the jack of all trades when I look back at my journey. So there's definitely great parts about being the jack of all trades, but sometimes I look back and I'm like, I wish I was a specialist at something. Like, I wish I was really good at cricket. Like, I play cricket but I play cricket for fun. I'm not actually really good at it. So there are days where I'm like, oh, I wish I was really good at this one thing. It's, it's an interesting um, argument, isn't it? Like the generalist versus the specialist. And mm -hmm. it's something that I'm always playing around with my head personally and, and also a lot of the, the time when I work with clients. Um, just, just love to just take a sidestep and ask both of you like the question, what do you guys think? Do you think it's, do you think one way is better than the other or is it, totally personal situations because I think it's a, a continually evolving argument with the future of work. Ben, I've been doing so much talking. I think you All should right. answer this question first. <laughs> All right. I think it's personal circumstantial, definitely, because if you really want to be a surgeon or a doctor or something specific and you need to specialise, fair enough. I think generally speaking, if you work in like business or education or there's a lot of general areas i think it's better to have more of a range of experiences but still you can be a specialist in one certain area like special education for example and that be your main focus but i i am conscious as well of 
I think the way the world's going in the future of work, it's going to start to lean a bit more towards being more of a jack of all trades than a specialist, especially with technology and things changing. And so that's my opinion, but I'm in no way an expert. No, I have to agree with you there. Um, I think there's a really great TED talk about this. Can't remember who it's by, but there's definitely a TED talk about this and the book range um, Mm. was something that really touched into this. Michael Lim, who was one of your guests, I think got us onto that book. So um, it's been something I've been thinking about a lot during COVID. Personally, I think it's just... um, it's just one of those things that you're either a specialist or a generalist and that resonates with you more than the other. My brother, I would say is a specialist. Um, He really likes digging deep into the computer science and the code of the software behind things. Whereas I'm just naturally a generalist. I want to know everything about everything. Um, And I think it's just a personal preference and a lifestyle thing to a degree. What's better? I'm not sure. I think they're equally necessary for different industries. Like you said, Dan, like with medicine, you just need to be a specialist with certain things, but having the generalist outset or experience definitely helps you be better at being a specialist. So if I had to pick between the two, I would definitely pick generalist because I think it helps you be a better specialist if you decide to go down that path. Mm, Good insights. I'd probably, yeah, agree with that as well. I think, every experience can lead into specialist knowledge um, at the end of the day. And I think, yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Sakshi, around that transition process of making sure that you you listen to what your purpose is and, and what is important to you. I'd love for you to unpack that process of, because obviously through your story, you, you've taken a lot of time to reflect in, in key moments and you've obviously been very driven by your purpose and, that, that higher question of, am I really making the impact that I want to make? Um, and c- can you talk us through that reflection process and, and some of those key moments where you were like, yep, I don't want to continue with EY, I want to march to the beat of my own drum? Yeah, I mean, there are so many of those key moments, but let's go to EY because maybe there are some young people out there who do want to go into the corporate world. And I think it's a great place to start your career for sure. But for me personally, I did feel like I, um, I limited myself by trying to be a specialist when I was young and trying to um, figure out life quickly and put that pressure on myself to do that. And by that, I mean the goals I had set for myself were if I don't buy my first property by the age of 21, I'm not going to celebrate my 21st birthday. And I didn't celebrate my 21st birthday. And I was working at EY during that time and I remember working my ass off to try and prove myself in that company because I felt like I wasn't good enough to be there. And so I really, really put a lot of effort into learning about the financial industry, would be there at 7.30 in the morning, reading the AFR and trying to make sure that I was on top of all of our clients. And I even went above and beyond to look up all the partners that I liked working with Um, and aspired to be like, because in my head, I wanted to be a partner and the CEO. Um, And I reached out to them and asked them to catch up for coffee. And I remember this one particular partner who I really loved. Um, Him and I sat down and would catch up for coffee quite often. And one day he said to me, you know, I think there's actually just something 
better and bigger out there for you outside this place that you should really think about. Um, and that didn't make sense to me at that point because in my head, I still was so driven about the, the EY world um, until I remember there was just this pivotal point where my brother was really sick and I was at work and I couldn't actually leave work, not because work wouldn't let me leave because the person I'd become was work is important to me over my family and the things that make me me. Like I wasn't even going to council meetings anymore because I was prioritizing work and I would come home feeling really empty. Um, and when that happens often enough, I sat down with myself and just did a life audit as an auditor would do um, and figured out there was just not enough energy being put in my family and for me um, and the social work that I'm really passionate about. Um, and I told my mentor this and he also said to me, look, I really think you should apply for this Masters of Entrepreneurship course that you've been looking into. I'll set up a contract for you to come back at any point if you do want to change your mind. But you're young. The sky's your limit. Go give this a crack. And if I didn't have those two mentors at UI really pushing me at that time, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, so to answer your question, it was just knowing deep down that the values I had for myself in that moment weren't the values that were true to who I am. And that comes from just this feeling of feeling empty. How did you get such good clarity on your values and from a young age? And also when you talk about your story, you say it really comfortably, like it just sort of happened easily, which I understand it wouldn't have happened that way. But can you talk us through or talk the listeners through, I guess, some of those processes that you had to go through and where did that self-esteem and confidence come from, from a young age? I love that you think I have high self-esteem and confidence. I really well, appreciate that. <laughs> but the confidence, I guess, to, to make big decisions, and it seems like you made a few big ones and you kind of knew where you were going. Sometimes that can be difficult. Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> Again, a, a very pivotal learning that I've had and reflection I've had during COVID as to why I am who I am. Um, I think the biggest reason I had such good clarity and confidence in my gut feeling is because from a very young age, being a migrant in this country, being the older sibling and never having family friends around me that were older than me for me to look up to or talk to about life. Like I'm literally the oldest person in our family friend circle that is the older sibling to the rest of the they're not the kids, they're grown-ups now, but in my eyes, they're still children. I think being a migrant here with no role models and no mentors meant that I had to be my own role model and I had to be my own mentor, which is a really liberating experience because it meant that the world was my oyster. There is no limitation here. And the worst thing that could happen is I fail, but it didn't seem that bad because we'd just been through so much as a family that failure was not a bad thing. It was just a thing in life that we knew we could get through because we'd been through so many dark experiences together. So I think it's all those dark moments that I've been able to come out of fine. Um, and having that as evidence for myself to know that any decision I make, as long as I can tell myself that was the best decision for me in that moment, I'll be okay. Um, so to answer your question, in short, I used 
just following my gut feeling and seeing the outcome that comes with it every single time as evidence. And I would literally write it down in my notes whenever I would have one of those moments to the point where now it's a no brainer that I listen to my gut feeling. Can you elaborate on that about the gut feeling? Cause I'm quite similar. I always follow intuition as well in life and especially in my career. Can you talk about it for people out there that listen and they're like, mm, that's, in- that's an interesting concept. How do I go about that? Do you have any practical advice for how you can hone that belief in your gut feeling? Yes and no. Um, from a practical advice perspective, what really helped me with my, with understanding my gut feeling firstly, in terms of like, what does that biologically feel like so that I can actually call it out? Um, for me to get to that point, I, I did a lot of silence courses when I was um, 19. So I got into meditation and spirituality and would go on these retreats where I would just be silent with a lot of old people in the middle of nowhere. And that silence really brought um, a space of emptiness, but also allowed me to really feel what my body feels like when I have a gut feeling about something. Um, I remember that moment I had written it down for myself. Um, This is what my gut feeling is like when it's telling me to do something. So writing it down really helps Um, for me. Like, my gut feeling these days is more just an expansion or a feeling of expansion in my chest area. And I call it the giddles. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a made up word and it's just the feeling of having butterflies and tingles in my fingers. Um, And so the giddles is what I use as my indication of this is a gut feeling telling me to do X. And every time when I first started listening to my gut feeling, what I would do is write it down in my notes, be like, my gut feeling says this, I'm going to do this. I don't know what the outcome is, but once I know the outcome, that way I'll know if this is the process that's working for me for all the decisions I want to make in my life. And a quote that really helped me do this is one by Steve Jobs, where he talks about the dots in life. Um, I'm not going to be able to quote the quote the way he did so eloquently, but essentially it's about Um, the dots that we have in life and some of them don't connect at the moment, but you'll come to a point in life where each dot will connect and life will make sense, but you just have to be okay with some of those dots that don't connect. Um, And when I follow my gut feeling, I think of it as a dot that I can't connect right now, but I will. And I know I will later on. Mm. I think the, the, the common theme, I think, for a lot of our guests when they share their reflection stories and, and going with their intuition and their gut feeling is like that, that process of writing it down and reflecting either through a journal entry or through um, yeah, capturing your thoughts in that moment. And, and it's cool that you labelled it. The, the, was it the giddies? That you, the giddles. Giddles, yeah. I love that because that, I suppose when I reflect, there's been moments in my life where you just feel so excited and you're like, yes, like I, I need to make this decision. It's scary, but like I need to make this decision. And yeah, I reckon I've experienced the giggles a few times. Mm. It's, it's so beautiful how you explained it. And I think it's a really interesting topic because in career development, especially decision-making is such a big component and, um, you know, intuition and gut feeling isn't something that necessarily is, considered high up in academia but i think when you speak to a lot of people and especially a lot of people that are happy and successful in their work there is an element of that gut feeling and intuition that they follow so i think it's a really fascinating topic 
Yeah, no, definitely. And I love that you can identify with the giggles. There's also the other version, which is the diggles, um, which is when, you know, your gut is telling you, you shouldn't be here, you shouldn't do this. And a lot of the times you don't listen to that because you think that, um, you know, the world is telling me, the society is telling me that this is the right thing to do. Maybe I'm self-sabotaging, but really listening to that, the diggles and the giggles are just as important as each other. What are the physical aspects of the diggles? Oh, the complete opposite. It's like shut down, not wanting to talk to people, withdrawing um, and not getting excited about the work you're doing and talking about what you do on a day-to-day life basis. How did you find the the Masters of Entrepreneurship program? Because it's been a program that I think a lot of our um, students, particularly at more of that post-grad level, have, have inquired about and... and yeah, curious about. Can you share how the program was for you? Yeah, I mean, I'll be really honest about um, the program in the sense that I don't think it's for everyone, but it was for me. And the reason it was for me is because I didn't have any female role models in business. I'm probably the first female um, in our generation or our family history to even own her own business. So from the perspective of not knowing where to start and not having anyone or not knowing what to Google or not, not really even knowing where to plant the seed in my own life. Um, that was really great for me to have as a starting point. However, I don't think it's something that everyone needs. If you have the privilege of a family that's running a business learn through them. Um, so yeah, the answer to your question is it's a great program for people who don't have access to someone in their family or mentors to help you build your own business. Um, And for someone like me, that was really great and helpful. And I'm really grateful for all of the support that I got through the Masters of Entrepreneurship. Mm. So something that we also ask our guests to, Sakshi, is this this notion of, um, you know, the importance of reading and and self-education. And I I love the, there's, again, a quote, um, and I'm not too sure who said it, and I'll probably won't say it word for word, but the notion of, you know, a formal education will get you a job. Um, self-education will make you a fortune. And, you know, I can see the fact um, that through, you know, you're talking through us before you came on the show, like the mentors that you've, you've called upon through readings that you've, you've done and books that you've tuned into and podcasts that you've listened to and so forth. Um, can you share like the power of self-education along your journey? Yeah, um, for sure. I think I'm, at a point now where I read less um, than I did when I was younger. And that's because when I was younger, I found so much joy in listening and hearing about other people's stories and journeys in these incredible and extraordinary things that they would achieve. And it made it achievable for me when I understood the process of how they got there. Um, An example is, you know, Tony Robbins, um, Brennan Bouchard, in his early days, I used to watch a lot of his YouTube videos um, and it was really good for me to filter the lessons that I wanted to take from them and apply it in my own life. The reason I've started um, reading less recently has been because I've recognised that I've been reading a lot and reading is one thing, but really applying that knowledge in an a tangible way is the real self-education bit. Um, so when I was younger, I probably just read and took something from it, but never applied it. 
now I'm at a stage where I'm reading books and really thinking about, okay, what am I actually taking from this and putting into my life so that I can be a better person in all the roles and hats I play from being a daughter, a sister, a co-founder and Sakshi for myself. Sakshi, I've got a question just to move a little bit lateral. We mentioned a bit off air um, talking about paying to purpose. So I've got a two-part question. The first one is, can you talk us through how you've channeled pain and trauma and your own journey into purpose? Can you talk us a little bit through what is your purpose moving forward and how is it evolving? Really good question. Um, He's full of good questions today, Danny. (laughs) He's pulled out the the big guns for the last episode of the year. (laughs) You both are actually. God, (laughs) um, the pressure. Um, Okay, so I guess there have been some really dark days um, that in the moment of those dark days, I felt like there was no light to even see a tunnel through. And on those dark days um, was when I felt a lot of pain. But it, it was one of those moments where I've actually got nothing else to lose. And that's because I didn't have perspective in those dark days. And so what really helped me in every point of my life is just translating the energy from the pain into service and using that as a way of finding purpose in my life again. Um, And so if we just talk about humanism um, global, which is the social enterprise I work in at the moment, I was probably going through a really dark phase with my first startup. Um, And the reason for that is because um, in the world of, media everyone thought i was the peak of my career and had achieved all this success and on paper yes i can see why people thought that but deep down i was actually in ed a couple of times with panic attacks and going through my own mental health journey and those dark days were real and the reason i went to india was because i found that um taking that pain and putting all that energy into purpose really helped me figure out being the headspace that I can really think about who I am again and what purpose I want to serve in this world. Um, And you learn so much from serving other people because their stories are stories that you can probably connect with to some level. And that's the beautiful thing about humans and humanity is that we can all connect with at least one story between each other. Um, So if you're going through a dark, painful experience, I highly recommend um, finding something that can make you feel like you're serving other people. And that space and energy will um, really find, uh, really help you find a space of purpose for yourself again. And that's pretty much Viktor Frankl's man's search for meaning. I'd like to say human search of meaning because it can really work for everyone, not just men. But um, yeah, that's probably my journey with, this idea of pain and purpose, it's really defined my biggest moments in life. And the evolution now of your purpose moving forward? It <laughs> keeps changing. I, right now, my purpose is literally just providing freedom and choice to every human I can through work. Um, but, hey, two months down the track, that could change because three years ago it was completely different it was getting a house and making sure that I was making six figures every year and all these other dreams and things which don't exist anymore you highlight a really good point around the constant change of purpose and I think as young people like we 
we can sometimes feel that we need to, you know, have a purpose and stick to that for like, you know, our, the rest of our lives. But it's such a good point you raise around the constant evolution of what your personal purpose may mean. And then the decisions that come from that as well. It's a really good insight. Sakshi, you mentioned before we come on air that um, you wanted to talk about emotional intelligence and that you're also consider yourself an empath. I mean, you've had to sort of manage that in the early part of your career. Can you talk us through that process and also, I guess, give us any tips and advice for anyone else out there that may um, consider themselves an empath and how they can best manage that in their career? Yeah, sure. I wouldn't say I'm an expert at this because I'm only recognising in the last couple of years that I am an empath um, and it's a journey I've been on throughout but unconsciously so um i guess just to like summarize that a bit what that means for me as an empath is when i was younger i would cry just watching other people cry like that's how much of an empath i was when i was um much younger or even if someone had watery eyes and they weren't crying for some reason i would translate that experience as someone being upset and therefore getting watery eyes myself um, so I take on a lot of other people's energies around me and um, that can sometimes impact me. And what that means for me is I need to make sure I can manage my emotions in a way that it doesn't impact me and the work that I do in life. Um, as I grew older, I think just reading stories and watching movies that have some intense emotion in there would also impact me. And it would impact me more than the person sitting next to me watching that movie. And it's something I would question be like, why do I care so much about this? But it's not even real. Um, and so just recognizing that about myself made me want to really work on how I manage my emotions because I could see that impacting my study at, um, during HSC, impacting my relationships with my family where I'd get really anxious and not know what to do and say when it's just a normal situation at home where no one else is impacted by things that I'm impacted by. So I definitely saw that as a red flag when I was younger. Um, how I decided to manage that is by um, doing a personal development course with Tony Robbins. I think getting perspective on some of the emotions that I would have in certain situations and just being able to identify as an empath and what comes with that really helped me come up with like an action plan on, okay, I'm going to feel this intense emotion if this happens. When I feel this intense emotion, what I'm going to do is pause. And the power of pause is incredible because it gives you a moment to just center yourself and really gracefully think about how you're going to move forward for yourself, the people around you and the purpose you have in this world. And when you get clarity around that, that is just being a game changer for me moving forward. Um, I'm still an empath. I will go into a train and if someone's having a fight in the train and I don't even know them, I'll still feel the emotions they're feeling. But what I have to do for myself is put on a podcast and distract myself and make sure that I don't um, let the things around me impact the person I am. But then there's also a lot of other techniques that work for other people. Like we've talked about Daniel Goldman's work um, in being self-aware um, and then having 
the empathy to really understand what um, these emotions are, figuring out how you're going to communicate and um, what social skills you're going to use to really make sure this emotion doesn't impact other people. Um, so there are some really good tools out there that have helped me, but what's helped me more is just looking at personal development courses and figuring out what works for me. You know what I love about the way you describe things, Sakshi, is you willing to like reflect, go deep and look at it from like a big picture, holistic, spiritual element. But then it's almost like your skill set from your financial days comes out and you're like methodical about how you then apply it. So you're like, right, this is what it is. I've done the deep work, but now how do I break it down into like three steps of action that I can actually get a result and it's more methodical? I like that you've got that balance. I think that's really cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's the generalist in me coming out, I feel. <laughs> I'm not actually really good in either of those things. I'm just mediocre in like both those things. <laughs> what advice would you have for any... Um, high school leaver or university student or anyone out there really who's looking to make a career in social entrepreneurship or social impact or international development from your journey so far what are the sort of three tips or takeaways you'd inspire them to do cool good question again um one thing i wish i did when i was younger is um use the ikigai framework um google it um it's a really great tool to just put into paper what you're passionate about um what i'm actually you know what just google it i'm not even going to go through it google it there's a really great youtube video about it i'm going to butcher how to do this if i try and eloquently describe it so highly recommend that um, i did the ikigai in 2017 and that just changed the way i also make decisions in my career so something that i wish i could do when i was younger um, is the ikigai the second thing I would do is look up social entrepreneurs across the globe. Um, don't limit yourself to Australia. I really resonated with Layla Jenner, who doesn't have a huge following, but um, is someone that I really resonated because she's a migrant herself. She is um, female, she's brown, and she also has a social enterprise that provides employment. So um, that's someone that really helped me feel inspired every day um, and someone that I can relate to. And that's really hard to find sometimes. So I highly encourage you to go beyond Australia and think globally. A lot of these social entrepreneurs have mediums. So get on their mediums, stalk them, watch all their YouTube videos and just be inspired. Um, and then thirdly is trust your gut slash intuition. And if you don't know what that is, that's completely okay. But just being open to understanding what that is and really building on that so that as you progress through time and life, you can really count on that to support you in making the right decisions in your career. Love it. Before we move on to one of our favourite topics, which is books, and I think we're going to have a fun chat with you about that. Ty, do you have any final questions? No, I think it's just your story's been really inspiring, Sakshi, and um, I think the learnings that you've received at such a young age, I think is I'm really curious to see how your journey evolves um, as your career progresses because of that steep learning curve and those different environments and experiences that you've had has really shown the shot. <laughs> I'm butchering this, the shown through. That's not even a word, is it? You it know what now. I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 
you know, I was going to say, don't ask me. <laughs> but yeah, just your experiences and your maturity and your wisdom is is um, exceptional. Oh, I'm glad you think that. Deep down, I still feel like a kid who's rambling on some things she's experienced. But thank you. I really appreciate that. I've got one more question, actually, before we go to books. Coming to Australia and um, being a migrant and then um, being like an international student, do you have any um, takeaways or or highlights for people on how to navigate that? Well, my grandparents were refugees from Pakistan to India. My parents were migrants from India to Kuwait to then Oman in Australia. And I am a first-generation migrant that was born in Kuwait. Um, and now an Australian citizen as well. So I guess I didn't have to go through the struggles of an international student because they are so different and something that I cannot empathise with enough because I don't know what they're going through. Um, But I know that they've just had it tough during COVID and I'm I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, But for me, because I can't talk about the international student side of things, I can talk about the struggles that come with being a first-generation migrant with parents who have a different lived experience to mine, especially with the career perspective. Um, My father was a chartered accountant and qualified in India and Kuwait. But at that time when we migrated to Australia, his accreditation was not something that Australia would recognise. So he had to re-educate himself at the age of 30 while supporting a family in Australia with very little money in a bank account. Um, So there's that aspect of really wanting to clench onto security because as a kid, you've grown up with insecurity and therefore the importance of security is something that's really ingrained into you as you're growing up and the career choices that you should be taking. Um, So just a recognizing that if you are looking for security, but deep down, you know that the work you want to do, doesn't necessarily give you that reflecting on why that is the case can really help just unpack that for yourself and help you make the right decision for you. Um, For me, that's just my story and recognizing that the right decision for me is actually being okay with the insecurity um, and the right decision for my parents at that time was looking for security because of the two different environments we were going through. Um, So I would say just like having empathy for your parents and your family and the upbringing that they've given you because of their own lived experience really helps you identify what parts of their um, lessons that they've given you applies to your decision making going forward with your career and what part doesn't necessarily resonate only only because you have two different sets of opportunities. And for me, I'm just way more privileged with the opportunities that my that my parents have given me compared to the privileges and opportunities that were different from my parents that weren't the same. So um, in a long-winded way, having empathy for where your parents come from and the opportunities that they have had really helped me figure out what's important for me and why I've been given the lessons I've been given by my parents. Beautiful. Yeah, really good. I think that... um, there's such a learning in that, isn't it? Around taking on learnings from, from anywhere, from, from parents, from mentors, from education, from books, whatever it is, and applying it to your own situation and understanding what is appropriate for you and, and how it works best in your decision-making capacity as well. For sure. 
Um, I think sometimes we also put a lot of people on a pedestal and think that what they're saying, because they're, they've got so much success backing them and they're an expert at something, it is the absolute truth. But the absolute truth is not something that anyone else can define for you but yourself. And that's where your gut feeling really comes on board. Um, and I know we've talked about books briefly, but that's where I get really conflicted at the moment around the books that I'm reading and how much of it that I'm really taking away and what part resonates because it really resonates with me or what part am I taking away because everyone else has told me that's what I should be taking away. Um, so it's a real journey, that one, and it's a never-ending journey, but that's the really beautiful thing about life and growth. Such wise words. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> what book are you reading at the moment? Oh, um, okay. Good question. I am reading a couple of books at the moment, but really slowly. One that I recently finished is by Oprah. Um, it's called The Path Made Clear. The other one that I'm reading is called Half the Sky, How to Change the World. This one's taking me a while to read, but um, it's about incredible women across the globe that um, have really addressed poverty and um, just trafficking in some of the most deepest and darkest places in developing countries. Um, and then the last one, which is a bit airy-fairy, um, is The Secret, um, which I don't know if you guys have heard of, but it's all about the law of attraction. Awesome. And you go, Ty. <laughs> no, you go, Danny. You're I was just going to... I was just going to say, what was that second book around ending poverty? Oh, um, it's not necessarily ending poverty. It just gives you a good um, look. It's called Half the Sky. Half the Sky. Half the Sky, How to Change the World. It's a lot of case studies around the, um, the complexity that comes with women, poverty, trafficking across developing communities. Mm. Cool. I never realised how big of an issue human trafficking was until about six months ago. And I watched a documentary um, from a gentleman, I can't remember his name, but it's heart-wrenching, that topic. Yeah. Uh, I would say that any stat you see online is an underestimated stat because there's so many hidden stories that we don't even get to hear about to count at the end of the day, which is why I never talk about poverty statistics. It's so flawed. Instead, I just talk about the stories because that gives you a better picture of how complex and important it is that we do something about it. Well said. Final one, what is your favourite book of all time? Oh, okay. Actually, I can answer that question. Um, it's Give Work by Leila Jenner. Um, it's the book that inspired humanism global for me and um, it's written by an entrepreneur that I'm inspired by every day unfortunately she passed away this year but um, her work and legacy is something that I'm always inspired and motivated by beautiful I'll have to write that one down Sakshi it sounds like a good read it definitely is let me know what you think of it if you do end up reading it yeah. Now he's it. committed. Yeah. <laughs> now you're, you're held no, I'm, accountable. I'm locked in. It's, uh, no, it's, it's good. I need a, a new summer read considering I won't be surfing this summer. So it's all good. <laughs> Perfect. And for all your listeners out there, if they can put in some comments and subscribe, if they do, it would be awesome to hear their thoughts on what they think about the book too. Definitely. 
And how can I, people? Oh, sorry, Danny, you go. Oh, I was going to steal your line. Ah, <laughs> uh, you, you go, man. You steal it. Sakshi, where can um, our listeners follow your updates and wise words? Uh, I don't know about wise words, but I'm um, I'm there on LinkedIn. I'm about to start writing more mediums. I have a lot of half-written mediums because I'm a bit of a uh, how do I say this? I'm just really scared to put my writing out there. So hopefully. You'll see me on Medium sometime soon. That's my thing to do before the year ends. And Instagram, um, Humanism Global, or Sakshi.t, whichever works best for you. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Sakshi. Really enjoyed your insights. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It was such a great time. Hopefully there's something in there that someone can resonate with. I think there was plenty. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Arrive and Thrive podcast, please let us know by sharing it with a connection and leaving a review. We hope that through this podcast, even more people can design a career and life that they love and are proud of. See you soon.